You are listening to Overcomers Church International Podcast. Here at OCI, we are dedicated to our vision of building strong people and building strong churches. From wherever you are listening, we hope that this message leaves you equipped and encouraged. With you that this will probably just turn into a, a two two week series, I believe is what it's going to be. Um, but I want to talk to you about really, if I could just narrow it down, it's really about the word and the word of God. And, and uh, that's I'm not I don't do a lot of fancy titles. Like sometimes I'll see these ministries and these churches and pastors, and they've got these like really uh, jivey titles to where we're like, yeah, it's the cool place. And then I'm like, I want to tell you about the word. <laughs> But I, I believe that we have a severe, severe, severe deficiency. It's amazing that I can talk or do anything. God, listen, God will take the foolish and the base things of the world to confound the wise. And sometimes that's why you ever listen to people, you do every week, you listen to me, but you listen to people and you're like, how do you put two sentences together sometimes? But the thing is, is that like going back to what I was talking about, you know, the, the enemy uh, and from multiple different avenues, from multiple avenues, had stripped my confidence from me. But I've gained my confidence back in the Lord, and it just doesn't matter if it all comes out right or not. My confidence and trust is in the Lord, and I'm going to do what God's telling me to do. So that's just how you have to be. Because, you know, when the Lord tells you to do something, most of the time what God calls you into, you are not naturally going to be equipped for the thing that God has called you to do. When I, when I first started ministering, I was like, man, I don't like the sound of my voice. I still don't like the sound of my voice. I don't like the way I look. I still don't particularly like the way I look. And there's things that I would change and all of this stuff. And if you focus on all those things, those are confidence breakers, confidence shakers. And the Lord just wants us to get to a point to where we push all of that aside and we just have confidence in him. Well, you know how you have confidence in him is you have to get to know him from his word. That's where your confidence is supposed to rise from. And we have a severe, if I could say it right now, a severe deficiency of the word of God, not so much just in the world, but truly inside the church, we have a deficiency of the word. And the only way that we can know God, the only way that we can walk in the things of God, the only way that we can come into an understanding of who God is and how he's made us and who he is on the inside of us, all of that. The only way we can have an understanding in that is to come back and have a revival of the word. We need a revival of the word in our hearts, in our, in our homes, in our churches, really in all society. But it has to start with us, the people of God. We have to go back and remember what our plumb line for truth really is. It's not what the pastor says. It's not what the televangelist says. It's not even what your parents say. It certainly is not what religion tells you. It's not what any denomination tells you. It always comes back to the word of God is our plumb line for what is true. And I've told people this many times. You know, if, if you hear something from me that you don't deem to be accurate and compared to the word of God, take what the word says. Don't take what I say. I'm not your plumb line for truth. The word of God is your plumb line for truth. And so as a society, society has fallen so far down because the church has fallen so far down. The church doesn't place an emphasis like it needs to on the word. And we do in this church, you guys do in this church. I applaud you for that. But sometimes it's good to just go back and say, this really is the most important thing. This is what we're here for. And this is what we need to continue in. 
And I, am, uh, I, I had a, a friend of mine tell me one time, he gave me one of the best compliments. I'll say it wasn't me, but really the church, but it, it felt personal to me because I had been praying this way. He said, if I ever met a church, if I ever saw a church that seemed to be a good, uh, a good mix of Karis Bible College and Bethel Church, he said, it's your church. And I was like, and those are two ministries that Liz and I have drawn from and do continue to draw from. One is heavy on the, the supernatural moving of the Holy Spirit and uh, signs, wonders, and miracles, although they both operate in that. But one is heavy on the moving of the Spirit, and the other one is very heavy on the Word. And the deal is, is that we need both. You need to have both. Um, if you have all spirit and no word, you'll blow up. If you have all word and no spirit, you'll dry up. But if you mix them together, you'll grow up. So we need to have a combination of both. And so uh, I love the, the worship that we have. And as a matter of fact, the nights of worship that we're getting ready to start, those are going to be, we're going to have uh, prophetic things go on. We're going to have prophetic painting happen. We're going to have kids um, doing things, and, and we're just going to step out and allow the Lord to really, really flow through us. But if you don't have the word for the basis of what you do, then even what you do could get off track. So everything always comes back to what does the word say. In our country, our whole entire world needs the church to get back to the place to where the word of God really, truly is the plumb line for truth. Let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, and we're going to read a few verses here. It says, in the beginning, this is John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So here it tells us that God and the Word are the same. Now it says that the Word was God, but we know that He is the same yesterday, today, and forever, so it's true that the Word is still God. They are one and the same. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, I'm going to come back and talk about this word comprehend here in just a moment. But I want to show you something that light here, when it's talking about light, is talking about Jesus. In John chapter 8 and verse 12, if we could pull John 8 and 12 up here, let me show you what it says here, and then we're going to come right back here to John chapter 1. But John 8 and 12, it says, Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So we can see here that, that Jesus is uh, the light. And we also know that God is the word. Well, if you look, go back to John chapter 1 and you look at verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So when it's saying that the word became flesh and dwelt among us, who is it talking about? It's talking about Jesus. So Jesus, so God is the Word, and the Word is God, but the Word is also Jesus because 
the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And that's not talking about the word is fleshy. That's talking about the word took on flesh form in the form of Jesus. And it says in John 8, 12, that Jesus is the light. So we can equally say that the light is also the word because Jesus is the word. Does that make sense to everybody? Please don't make me repeat that. <laughs> but we could say that, that safely that the word and the light are not a light, but the light is the exact same thing. We're talking about the light of God. So the way that we have light come into this world is through the word of God. The way that we have light come into our life is through the word of God. The way that we have light come into brokenness is through the word of God. The way that we have light come into our marriages and our children and our finances and everything that you need an answer to where there's darkness there, where you can't see, you don't know what's going on, you need victory, it always comes back to the light of the word being shine, being shown, being put into that situation that will cause illumination to come, answers will be there, and you get what it is that you need from the Lord. The Word is the answer, and the Word absolutely, positively is light. Now, I want to look at this Word, comprehend here. So if, you, if we look at this again, it says, in verse 5 of John 1, it says, in the light, or you could say the Word, everybody say the Word, the light or the word shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Now, this is really, really important. I want to I give you a Greek word here, and this Greek word for comprehend is katalambano, and I think I'm saying it right. It's a phrase. It's a Greek phrase called katalambano, and katalambano is, um, the word is capable, and I'm going I'm to read a, uh, a commentary on this. The word is capable of three interpretations. So when we think comprehend, it's basically very limited to understand. That's how we would think comprehend, like, oh, I understand. I comprehend what you're saying. Well, that's one or a very singular view of this word comprehend, which is translated from the Greek word katalambano. And it means to seize, lay hold of, or overcome as such. Um, this verse could read, the darkness does not gain control of it. So one translation could be of that word, the darkness does not gain control of the light. The second thing, it means to perceive, attain, lay hold of with the mind, to apprehend with mental or moral effort. With this meaning, the verse could also be translated, the darkness is unreceptive and does not understand it. So it could also be translated, the darkness is unreceptive and does not understand it. And then here's the third way that we could interpret this katalambano, this Greek word for comprehend, katalambano. Here's the third way. It means to quench, extinguish, snuff out the light by stifling it. So we could say that the darkness will never be able to eliminate the light. That's a good side to be on. I like being on God's side. Light and darkness essentially are, are antagonistic. The Christian's joy is in knowing that light is not only greater than darkness, but will also outlast darkness. 
We literally don't need anything else but that right there to praise God for all of our days. Because the truth is, is no matter what darkness you experience, no matter what trials or troubles or issues or persecutions you experience in this life, when it comes to the end of this age and we're with Jesus, we win. Because light cannot be snuffed out by darkness. Darkness can cancel light, but, excuse me, light can cancel darkness, but, but darkness cannot cancel light. And, and we know this because the only way that, that darkness can leave a room is, I mean, darkness can enter a room is when light leaves a room. And the way that darkness leaves a situation is for light to come in. And when the light comes in is when truth comes in and when things begin to change. See, I liken the, the world to, have you ever been, you went somewhere, you traveled somewhere, and they had really good room darkening shades where you were sleeping. Maybe it was a, a good hotel or something like that. And, uh, and it was so dark in the room. And when you, when you woke up, maybe in the middle of the night and you had to go to the bathroom or something, I had a few head nods like, yeah, yeah, I've been there. And, you know, you wake up in the middle of the night and you're like, where am I? Have you ever been there? Good, I'm not, the only, I'm not crazy. I'm not the only one. And you're, you're like trying to get your, you know, your faculties together. And finally, you kind of like, oh, I remember where I'm at. But you really don't know that room that well. You don't because it's not your normal space. And so then you're like, okay, where's the edge of the bed? I do not want to kick that stinking wheel. Why can't they move the wheels inside further? I don't understand it. You know how many times I've, I've almost cussed because of that? It's terrible. Our, our, bed, our bedroom is so small. And we have enough room to walk around two sides of our, of our bed. And that stinking wheel sticks out. Why do they have to do that? I don't know. I, mean, I think I'm going to write bed uh, frame manufacturers and say, listen, get saved. All right? It's, this is ridiculous. But anyways, you know, you, you, you're in that dark place that you don't know very well, and you're, you're trying to find your way around, and what are you looking for? Some kind of light so you can see where you're at, where you're going, and what's going on. And finally, when you're on the wall, and you're going like this, hoping you don't hit a piece of trim and, and jam your thumb, you, <laughs> the light comes on, and you're able to see what's going on. Because when light comes, darkness is automatically driven out of the situation. And so I want to take you to um, Isaiah, excuse me, Psalm chapter 119, Psalm 119 and 105. And I want to show you this. This is a great thing that the Lord gave me uh, that really just opened up my eyes to something. Look up here. It says, your words, this is talking about the Lord, of course, that his word. So your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How many of y'all know that the word of God, according to this, is a lamp and it's a light? But so I got to thinking about this. Have you ever been on a trail, maybe at, at night or something, and you had a flashlight, and you were walking, and you could see where you were going, but you couldn't see your feet? So the Word of God is not only a light to your path, but it's also a lamp unto your feet. And a lamp here means like, like a, some kind of, you could think of an old archaic lamp or a candle or something like that. And the point of like a lamp or a candle is to illuminate a small space. It's not meant for travel, but it's meant for observation where you are. I thought that should, it's really good actually, but. <laughs> so the word is not only a light to your path, but it's also a lamp to your feet. Why is that so important? 
Because if you only know where you're going, but you don't know how you're walking, you're going to end up not walking well, and you won't get to the place that you need to go. So the lamp deals with, the lamp of the word of God deals with the condition of your feet. It shows you how to walk, whereas the light shows you where to walk. So the light of the word of God will light your path, but the lamp will light your feet, helping you understand how to walk and really to be able to keep you from stumbling in darkness. Because the deal is that even if you're looking towards the light, this world is full of darkness. This is just kind of like what Jesus talked about, and I don't have time to go there, but let me just say it quickly. In John, John chapter 13, and he's dealing with the disciples at the Last Supper, and then he gets down and he washes their feet. Remember the story. He gets down and he washes their feet. And, you know, Peter said, you know, no, you're not going to do that. And Jesus said, if you don't do this, you'll have no part of me. And then he's like, oh, wash everything, Lord. Wash my whole self. And Jesus says, for him that has already been cleansed, I think is how it says it, you only need to have your feet washed. You don't need to be cleansed again. You don't need to have a whole bath. And what he was saying is that for the believer, once you've already been born again, you don't need to get born again again. That's not the issue. But what is true for the believer is that as you walk through this life, you pick up things as you're walking and you need to wash your feet off. And the way that you wash your feet is through the water of the washing of the word. Because when you're walking through life, especially back in the day when they had, uh, were wearing sandals and they picked up dust, well, Satan was cursed to eat the dust of the ground. Dust is devil's food. So if you're picking up dust on your feet, you're going to end up attracting devilish stuff. So what you need to do is don't be condemned, but go to the light of the word Go to the washing of the water of the word to cleanse your feet so as you're walking on the path that's lit, you're, you won't stumble because you've got light and life and truth in the way that you walk through this life. And this is something that the world is completely missing out on. And really, the, the, because the church has become backwards, the, the society has become backwards. And you have, the, instead of the church being a counterculture, it's a subculture. We're just kind of here as, as an appendage. And so instead of being the head and leading the way, we're kind of like, you know, a big toe. It'd be hard to get, get around without a big toe. But if you lost your big toe, you could still get around. It would just be a little more challenging. That's basically, essentially, in the world, the role that the church is filling in society right now. It's just like a big toe. And if it gets removed, then it's no problem. As a matter of fact, for the world, it would be easier because then they can go about doing and hobbling through life the way that they want to hobble through life. But we're not supposed to be a subculture. We're supposed to be a counterculture. We're supposed to be leading the culture. But when the world is coming out with perverse things, and the, then the church doesn't even have the answer for what's truth, how can, the, how can the church ever determine culture when it doesn't even know what the truth is? How can the church determine culture when it doesn't even know what the truth is? All we're doing is skating along with the rest of the world. There are so many things that I could go into that I will not go into right now, but all of the things that we're seeing, I'm going to go into it a little bit, but all of the things that we're seeing about all of these agendas that are being pushed through, and the church is like, let's just love everybody. And the reason the church is saying that is because they don't want to be lumped in with people calling them out saying that they're unloving. It is not unloving to tell people the truth. 
It says in Leviticus, um, I think it's in chapter 19. I spend a lot of time in Leviticus. Um, Leviticus chapter 19, it's the word, it's good, all right? But it says that, it says that if, basically that if you, don't, if you don't tell your brother the sin or the offense, then you don't love them. If you're not willing to share, open and share and say, this actually is wrong. See, and it's not that we, sh- then you don't love them. And it's not that we shove it down people's throats because the church has done that. And we got some knuckleheads doing knuckleheaded things, standing on street corners, screaming, saying, oh, homosexuals are going to hell. Like the heaven and hell issue is not our issue. Our issue is to love and to give truth because we're supposed to walk just as Jesus did. Go back to John chapter uh, one, and look at this in verse 14, John 1 and 14, and it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Again, that's talking about Jesus. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of, say it with me, full of grace and truth. To walk in the way that Jesus walked towards the world, because the world had evil in it back then, just like it does now. Might have looked slightly different, but it was still evil. How did Jesus approach the things that were going on? He came in with truth, but also with grace. He came in with grace, but also with truth. See, we're supposed to be gracious and loving towards people, but we're all supposed we're also supposed to be a beacon of light holding the oracles of God, the plumb line of truth for what really truly is right. But we have the world calling good evil and evil good, and we also have the church going, yeah, actually, that's okay. No, it's not okay. Homosexuality, no matter how long Jesus tarries, homosexuality will never be okay. Does God love homosexuals? Of course, they're people. They're part of his creation. They're just confused. Like the old saying is, we need to help them see that God created Adam and Eve and not Adam and Steve. Amen? I like that. It just helps us remember. But that's the truth. God has original design for things. Uh, you know, a, a, abortion. And I have lots of compassion for, for women who have gone through that, have had abortions and stuff. But abortion is murder. It is a... Ba- it's a baby, it's a human being inside of the womb, and it is never okay to murder another human being. By the way, there's a difference between uh, murder and then killing that takes place in war. Totally different thing and another topic for another time. But it's never okay to, to, to murder somebody. Let's look at Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20. Isaiah prophesies about what will happen and the time that's coming, what's going to happen. So Isaiah 5 and 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We have, let's see, do I want to say that? Yeah, I'll say it. We need some things to stay on the up and up and stay right in this town. Oh, Jesus. We have a library and I love the people in the library. I love everybody. I love everybody. Do you understand that when people walk in darkness, they get the results of darkness? When people walk in light, they get the results of, of the light. And for anybody that would see this, live stream, if you're part of the library, if you're in here and you're part of the library, I love you. I'm not against you. But we have a library in Perryville that is displaying everything for Pride Month. And like as a leader in this town, it literally grieves me 
Because everything with Pride Month is being, it's not about loving the gay people. Everything with Pride Month is about pushing through the LGBTQIRSTUV8W slash whatever they call themselves now. It's about pushing through their agenda. And their agenda is, part of their agenda is to destroy the normal nuclear family as society has known it to be. That is, that is part of their agenda, and they, they, they want to redefine what family looks like by telling people, you can be gay if you're a girl and you want to be a boy. You can, be, you can become a boy. You can do all of this stuff. And we just found something out very, very interesting, that statistics about fatherlessness, you can't hardly find statistics about fatherlessness past 2017. And the reason is because the agenda being pushed is those statistics that show fatherlessness goes against their agenda, so the statistics are being quieted and hushed and pushed down. Because as you look at real statistics about what's happening with the fatherless generation, which is... uh, my, my generation was fatherless. I'm a, what are we? Millennial. Yeah, we're millennials. Millennials and Gen Zs, very, very fatherless generations. And the correlation between fatherlessness and the anger and the, 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 the fear and the, the lack of identity, all of these things, all of that, correlates very strongly together. They don't want those statistics to be brought out because those statistics will show that everything that they're pushing, calling good, is in fact evil. Because we don't just need a, we don't need a dad and a dad or a mom and a mom. We need a mom and a dad. That's the way that God designed it. And you know what we need to have is we need to have more preachers. We need to have more ministers. We need to have more, not just from the pulpit, but people that listen to people in the pulpit say things like I'm saying, go and do something about what is taking place in our society. I'm willing to be the ramrod, but you need to hang on to the rod and go with me. Because this stuff is garbage. They're destroying our... When did it ever become... When did it ever become okay for drag queens to go into public libraries and read books to children? How is that okay? Oh, well, it's just, it's just the day we're living in. It's evil. Isaiah said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. How can we know the difference between good and evil if we don't know what the word says? You will, it, the, the Bible says repeatedly, it is shameful for a man to lie with a man. It is shameful for a woman to exchange the natural use of a man and lie with a woman. It's a shameful act. It's an abomination to the Lord. Do we love those people? Absolutely. Are they deceived? Absolutely. Do we need to try to reach them? Absolutely. Do we need to love them? Absolutely. But do we need to give the truth? Oh, absolutely. The truth needs to be given. It must be given. So now we've got the church that's being led around by the things that are going on in culture, and it's, it's destroying the fabric of our nation. It's destroying the fabric of our young people. There is, a, there is an, an, an agenda behind these things that really, truly is an agenda. It goes, it goes beyond politics. You know, when I look at the whole, like, left and right thing, you know, 
I fall very much on the right side. I know I'm right. <laughs> but here's the thing is that we've had much division about Democrat, Republican, left, right, conservative, uh, all of that. And the, the reality is, is that the Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. We, not, we, we wrestle not against Democrats and Republicans. Because there's many rotten Republicans, I think, as there are Democrats. But anyways, uh, those, those, those are the ones that are, we're not fighting. For we wrestle against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age. The same homosexual, perverted, murderous spirits that are working to push through things today are the same ones that were working 500 years ago and 1,000 years ago and 2,000 years ago and whatever, pushing through the same nasty evilness. So it's, it's our job to make sure that we hold the standard of what true really is. And it's very sad because I see so many people, like becoming, becoming gay is, and, and I'm sure I'll probably get whatever, nasty emails or something from this. I don't really care. I'm just going to say it. You know, becoming gay has become a fad. And instead of telling people, like, no, no, no. If you have this plumbing, this is who you are. And God's design is to be attracted to the opposite sex. So if you're having trouble and you're being attracted to the same sex, we need to help you understand your original design and we need to cut those demons free from you so you are no longer being driven to be compelled to want to be with somebody of the same sex because it's not God's design. I just tell people this. In fact, I was working with, I think I was working with Larry one day, and I, and I picked up two male ends of an extension cord. I said, here, plug these together. And he goes, I said, see, it doesn't work right. There. And, and don't anybody write me and say, oh, I can't vote nurse. Listen. Kids know more today than what you have any idea of. And it's embedded in human beings to understand how, how things work. Let me tell you something else, too. There's no shame or condemnation. There's people that have come out of stuff. Man, God loves you. God loves you. I, I like what Chick-fil-A did. Whenever, I'm glad they finally opened the inside of the restaurant up, but... I like what Chick-fil-A did. Remember the mass shooting that happened five, six years ago down in Orlando, Florida? And it was a, it was a gay nightclub. And there was, I think there was about 50 people, if, I, if my memory serves me correct, that were killed because some, someone came in and, 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 you know, killed all those people in the gay nightclub. You know what Chick-fil-A did? They went and handed out free sandwiches to those people into the families, into the community. Hundreds and thousands of free chicken sandwiches. They got good chicken sandwiches. You know, but the heart, the heart behind it was to love those people and not condemn them. Jesus hasn't come into the world to condemn the world, but through, through him that the world might be saved. People don't get saved through condemnation. People get saved and set free by having light shed abroad in their hearts that causes them to respond to the goodness of God. You know what God's goodness is? God's goodness says that even in the midst of what you are doing or what you have done, God still loves you. Now just come to Jesus. You can come exactly like you are. You know what I would tell a homosexual if I ministered to them? I would say, you know what? God loves you and you need to get saved. I wouldn't tell them to reject homosexuality at first. I'd tell them to fall in love with Jesus. And when you fall in love with Jesus, you won't want to do perverse things. 
It's as simple as that. Your want to and your desires ultimately will change. Let me give you a little bit more here, and then we're going to be finished for today, and I'll pick this up more next week and really get into the meat of what God has got on my heart to share. John chapter 3 and verses 19 through 20, this sheds a little bit of understanding behind uh, maybe why people would reject the people of God, why people would reject truth. And, And this came to me I never forget where I was. I was in a hotel, and our family was staying there. This was many years ago. I think it was I was probably a senior in high school, and we had a bunch of family that was meeting at this hotel, and we had something going on. And I remember sitting in the lobby of the hotel, and I was asking the Lord. I said, "Lord, why is this particular family member so uncomfortable when they are around me?" And I just couldn't figure out because I really worked to love them. I did everything I could to just be kind to them. But they, when they were, you ever been around somebody that you can tell, like, you don't like, you don't, you and I don't gel, and it's not me not wanting to like you. You just don't like me, you know. So learning to not take that stuff personal and, and seek God for answers is good. And I began to ask the Lord, and then I was sitting there, and I began to read, and the Lord showed me this verse. And this is John chapter 3, um, verses uh, 19 through 21. Let's look at this, John 3, 19 through 20. One, and this will shed some understanding on this. It says, and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world. So the light is speaking of Jesus. It's also speaking of his word. It's speaking of truth, all of those things. That the light has come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. Now, why did men love darkness rather than light? Because their deeds were evil. It's not about the fact that they loved darkness more than the light. It's about the fact that their deeds were evil, so they didn't want to come to the light. And the next verses tell us why, verse 20. And it says, for everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light. And here's the answer, lest his deeds should be exposed. Verse 21, and it says, but he who comes to the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Now go back to verse 20 really quickly. And it says, listen, it says, for everyone practicing evil hates the light. This can be an indicator, not for a place of judgment, but for a place of understanding. When people refuse to come to the truth, to the light, it often is a reflection or a revealing as to where they're at in their life, the fact that they don't want to come because they're, they're afraid their deeds are going to be exposed. So then you just don't get thrown by that. You'd be like, okay, that's just where they're at. You don't condemn them. You still love them, but it helps you understand why they're at. But I've also found that some people that are living in darkness will want to come to the light because they're looking for change. And that's where you stay sensitive to be able to help people and give them truth, give them understanding. But when somebody is in darkness, the best option you, can, you, you have is to simply just love them. They already don't want to be in your presence. They already don't want to be uh, in the word. And so trying to shove it down their throat isn't going to do anything except drive a further wedge between you and them. Do they need what you have? Absolutely, they need what you have. But the way that you give it to them is just to love them first and hopes to build a trust relationship with them to where they can come and begin to get healing, get restoration, get set free. People oftentimes, when it comes to like having things exposed, 
there's a difference between people exposing things and God and, and, and your enemy exposing things versus God exposing things. Because see, when the enemy exposes things, he will use it to work against you. He will use it to accuse you, and he will use it to try to harm you. That's how you can know if somebody is really on your side or not. If somebody is quick to say, look at this thing that you did wrong. Look at this thing that you, that you said, and, and maybe you were wrong or whatever, but they're very quick to like bring accusation. That person is not your friend. Love them from a distance. But if you have somebody that's God-fearing, that loves you, or the Lord himself, that will expose, if we can use that word, that will shed light on any area of darkness, God will never use it to come against you. In the same time that God exposes the weakness, the sin, the darkness, he will also cover the person that's operating in it. And this is the difference between Shem, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Remember the story with Noah? And Noah got drunk, and we don't know all the details that are there because it doesn't say a lot, but Ham went in, and uh, I've heard several people say that it was a homosexual act that he, he, he committed against him because he said, curse be unto you, Canaan, and Canaan is the land that Sodom and Gomorrah was found in, in generations later. Of course, Sodom and Gomorrah was known for being a place full of homosexuality. And so it was possible that Ham, I believe it's Ham, right? Was it Ham the one that did it? So Ham is the one that went in. And whatever he did, here's the point, he came out and he exposed his father's nakedness. Whereas his two brothers, Sham and Japheth, they took a, a blanket or a sheet or whatever and they went and they walked backwards to cover the Father's nakedness. If you are a friend and you are truly a minister of the Lord, you will work to cover people in their problems, not work to expose them. The enemy exposes, but God always brings covering. He doesn't cover the wrong done. He uncovers the wrong done, but he protects and preserves the person. Because God cares about the hearts and souls of people more than, more than we can possibly even fathom. When you're dealing with people and situations, help to bring things to light that are troubling them. Help to shed light on how they're walking so they can walk free and clear and clean and all of that. But make sure you're not bringing uh, unnecessary exposure to the person to bring shame. Because when people are in shame, they remain in self-preservation. And when people are in self-preservation, they have entered in to a place of stopping freedom from coming into their life. Because when people hold themselves back, I've heard people say God's a gentleman, God's not a gentleman. I guess it depends on the situation you're talking about. I've seen people get hit by the power of God and it was like, boom, and they weren't even really asking for it, but God hit them and it was great and it was awesome. But then you also look at how the Lord works and he doesn't force people into things. It's very interesting. He's very interesting. But the Lord will not force people to become free. There are those times when it's like, boom, somebody gets hit by the power of God, but still even yet, they probably made a choice to show up to the service, and they get totally set free. But most of the time, the way that God works is that people invite him via just his word or in a service or they're worshiping or they've got someone that they're sitting and receiving counsel from, something like that, even just a friend that's praying. And if they don't invite the Lord into that space and they remain in self-preservation, most likely they're not going to get free from that thing. Because when we try to preserve ourselves, yeah, we, we avoid an potential embarrassment, but we also hold on to the thing that's keeping us bound. 
But when we will allow God to come into our space, into our area, God, God gives the best of both worlds. He's able to bring uh, light because light is just exposure, right? So he's able to bring light or exposure to the thing that's causing the problem, whatever that thing is, and then he's also able to cover the person at the exact same time. When we preserve ourselves, we mess it up royally, but when God preserves us, he brings freedom to us. If God is changing your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. If you would like to give or would like more information on how we are making a difference, visit overcomerschurchinternational.com.